Amen. We are so delighted to have our good friend Evangelist Tess Stewart from Houston, Texas with us today. Amen. He is no stranger to First Pentecostal Church. Amen. When he first started evangelizing, we had him here a number of times, and he is such a, just a great friend, a great Christian. And even though in the last few years, they've had him preaching all the conferences, general conferences, because of the times, and camp meeting next year, and he still remembers just us down-home folks here in Palm Bay. And I said, Brother Stewart, I want you to come and be with us. And uh, he uh, worked it into a schedule to be with us today. He's going to be ministering this morning, then also in our evening service tonight at 6.30 p.m. We hope you'll be able to come back and be a part of that. Would you welcome Brother Tess Stewart? We're glad you're here. God bless you. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise this morning. He's worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of the adoration. My God, I like what I feel in this house this morning. I feel victory this morning. I feel breakthroughs. I feel a lifting in this house. I feel an atmosphere where anything is possible. Anything can be turned around. God is here. God is here. God is here. God is here this morning. Give honor to my friends, Pastor and Sister Myers, and Bishop and Sister Myers, the leadership here of this great church, and uh, I'm getting old enough now where I can say I don't even want to think about how many years I've known the Myers family, but uh, they're just such a great people of God, and this is truly one of the great churches in all of our fellowship. I believe you ought to be excited to be a part of a church, a thriving church, a growing church, a happening church, amen, a church of vision. I do believe this morning there is a word from God for somebody. I feel in my spirit that there are people here this morning with some very real needs in your life. I don't say that to discourage you because if you have a need, you're in the right place. Because God is here in a tangible way and God is here to meet you at your point of need. God wants to speak to somebody, meet somebody in your time and place of need this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. As you find it, I do once again want to say how much of an honor it is to be here and to stand before you this morning. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Relay for our benefit the story of four men who find themselves in a time and place of dire need in their life dire need. Second Kings chapter 7 verse 3 says, and there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the hosts of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. What a terrible time of need in these four people's lives. But what I want to do today is challenge someone to be open to the possibility that God can and will do great things in your times and places of need. If you'll allow God to do what he wants to do, be what he wants to be in your time and place of need, your time and place of need can unlock the supernatural. Your time and place of need can be the thing that takes you to where God wants you to be. 
And so for the next few minutes, I want to preach on the simple subject, the need for a need. The need for a need. Somebody's understanding is going to be open this morning. God is going to speak to somebody with clarity and purpose and power this morning. God is going to do the supernatural. God is going to respond to somebody's need. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power, your presence. We thank you for your anointing that we feel in this house. I ask you now, God, for these next few minutes, anoint my mind, anoint my spirit. Give me your words to speak to the minds and spirits of your people. In the name of Jesus, we bind every spiritual hindrance. We bind every spiritual obstacle. God, loose your anointing. Loose your power. Loose your presence. Where your spirit is, there is victory. Where your spirit is, there are breakthroughs. Where your spirit is, there is a lifting. God, let your spirit rest, rule, and reign from the front of this building to the back of this building. God, anoint your word. Let this word be a living word that would take root in our hearts and in our minds and produce life in the days and the weeks and the months to come. We'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Some of you know my family, you know our story, you know that we spent some 33 years on the mission field as missionaries in Liberia, West Africa. And, but it's always a fascinating thing to be an American, uh, being raised both in America and overseas. You kind of get to examine the way we are and we examine the way we think and view our culture, view our psyche both from the inside and the outside. It's a more holistic approach to, to being able to see who we are and how we think. And there are many things I believe that are to be admired about the way we are here. There, there are many things about our spirit that I admire. I, I admire that independence that we have, that, that the idea that we have that if we need something to happen, we can make it happen. That if we will apply ourselves, that if we'll sacrifice, if we'll push, if we'll put our shoulder to the wheel, that if we need something to happen, if we need it, we can build it. I believe that's something to be admired about our spirit. But if we're not careful, if, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves much like the church of Laodicea. The Bible says that the church of Laodicea had need for nothing. They became so self-reliant, they became so self-sufficient that they forgot how to rely on God. And the problem with getting to that point in your life is that it doesn't matter how resourceful you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how big you are. Sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a time and place of need that you can't work your way out of. You're going to find yourself in a situation that you can't figure your way out of. You're going to find yourself in a predicament where you're going to need a God who's bigger than you to be able to step in and work out on your behalf. But because of how we're wired, because of the way we think, whenever we find ourselves in times and places of need, we tend to see our times and places of need as times and places of weakness and vulnerability. I said a few minutes ago that I'm convinced that God is here to meet people at your point of need. But I can tell you just as assuredly as I know that God wants to meet you at your point of need. I can tell you just as assuredly that the enemy also wants to meet you at your point of need. But sometimes you've got to square your shoulders and make up your mind. Even in my times and places of need, I refuse to hear the voice of despair. I refuse to hear the voice of discouragement. I refuse to hear the voice of disillusionment the voice of confusion, but even in my times and places of need, I'm going to hear the voice of faith. Even in my times and places of need, I'm going to hear the voice of destiny. Even in the times and places of need, I'm going to hear the voice of God. My God, it's in our times and places of need where the enemy attacks our mind, attacks our confidence in God. 
I've learned that the same situations that God would like to use to make us get up, the enemy would like to use to make us give up. The same circumstances that God wants to use because he wants to take us somewhere higher in him will be the same situations that, that the enemy wants to use to make us throw in the towel and turn our back on God. Hear me when I say that we're conditioned to see our times and places of need as times and places of weakness and vulnerability. But I've come to challenge somebody. It's time to look at my time and place of need, not just as a time and place of weakness and vulnerability, but it can be a time when I find myself uniquely positioned to see the supernatural. When I find myself uniquely positioned to see God do the radical. When I find myself uniquely positioned to see God do what only God can do. Hear me this morning when I say that if you don't have a real relationship with God in this house, your need can be the vehicle that takes you from where you are and takes you to where God wants you to be. But you've got to respond to your need the way God wants you to respond to your need. I believe that my ability to see need as possibly a positive thing, my, my, my thinking about need began to evolve when I was counseling. I used to counsel uh, juvenile felons and I used to counsel in substance abuse facilities. But and because of this line of work, that meant that on a daily basis that people were walking into my office and I could take one look at their file, one look at their record, one look at their life, and I could see immediately there was a great need for change in their life, that the way they were living their lives, it was destroying their lives. It was destroying every meaningful relationship in their life. It was costing them their health, and ultimately it was costing them their freedom and would eventually cost them their life if something didn't change. I could see a great need for change in all of my clients, but the sad reality was that for every client that changed, we probably had 20 or 30 others that came and left unaffected. The changes that needed to take place never took place and that was something that bothered me because for me, it was not just a job. It was not just a paycheck. I wanted to see lives change more than anything. But there was a principle that I first I observed it in my clients. The ones that managed to change there was something I saw in the ones that managed to change. And, and once I observed it, I began to make it a part of my counseling. It was a principle that I would instill in my future clients. And that principle was simply this, that the radical change that needed to take place in their lives was never going to take place until the need to change became greater than the desire to remain the same. I'll say that again. The need for change had to become greater than the desire to remain the the same. And I was very particular about where I used need and desire. There was a need for change that had to become greater than this desire to remain the same because they were bound by this strong desire to live the life that they were living. And everything about their lifestyle was conspiring against them. It was strengthening that strong desire to live the life that they were living. And I realized that most of my clients, when they came through the doors, they had some measure of a desire to change. But a simple desire to change would never become great enough to overcome the even greater desire to remain the same. I begin to realize I've got to get them beyond a simple desire to change. I've got to get them to where they begin to embrace and recognize a very real need for change. It's not just that I want to change, but God knows something has to happen. I can't go one more day like this. I was born to be more than this. God has a greater purpose. God has a greater plan. I can't walk one more mile like this. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. It doesn't matter what I have to give up. I need something to change in my life. 
my God. My God. God. I don't just want something to change. I need something to happen. What makes a need so powerful is that by definition, it makes something no longer optional. It becomes absolutely necessary. And you'll be surprised what the human spirit can do when it embraces something as being absolutely necessary. When it internalizes something as being a matter of life and death. When I think about need, I think about walking the streets of Houston. I live in the Houston area and this concrete jungle that we live in. And there's miles of, of asphalt and blacktop and, and, and pavement and parking lots and sidewalks. And you walk this concrete jungle and I'm always fascinated how you can see in the midst of all of that, you can walk through a parking lot in the midst of all of that concrete, that great expanse. You see we're in the tiniest of cracks. I, I mean the smallest of cracks in the midst of all that concrete. You find where a plant finds a way to grow in the tiniest of cracks because there's something on the inside of that plant that says, I don't just want the sunlight. I don't just want the air. I don't just want the water, but I need to get there. It doesn't matter. I don't have any guarantees I'll ever make it to the surface. I don't have any guarantees I'll ever see daylight, but not trying is not an option. Not giving it everything I've got is not an option. I've got a need and nothing else matters. My God, I pray that God would stir something up in somebody's spirit where you say, I've got a need this morning. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. I'll beg, I'll crawl, I'll give up whatever I have to give up. I'll turn away from whatever I have to turn away from, but I'm not leaving this house the way I came. I'm not leaving this house with the same needs intact. I'm not leaving this house until something is birthed in my spirit. So need generally has a negative connotation in our minds. But I'm preaching this morning that need can be the catalyst for something great. Need can be the motivation that changes your life, changes your family, changes your church, changes your city. In 2 Kings, Samaria found itself in a distressed situation. The armies of Syria had surrounded Samaria, cut Samaria off from all of its supplies, and Samaria found itself in a time of great famine. Every time I read this story about the situation Samaria found itself in, my mind goes to the city of Balmy Hills in Liberia where we were missionaries. And uh, you, some of you know about the civil war that took place in Liberia, a terrible civil war. They estimate that up to one-third of the population was killed during this civil war. But the city of Balmy Hills at one point was surrounded by enemy fighters, and they were literally squeezing the life out of the city. They estimate that up to 200 people were dying every day as a result of what was happening at one point. And so when I read this about Samaria being surrounded by an enemy force and, and, and having the life squeezed out of them, I, I almost instinctively put names and faces, people that I know who survived a similar situation and people that I know who unfortunately succumbed to a similar situation. But the Bible says the famine in Samaria was so bad that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's about $400 in modern day money. Things were so bad that they were actually eating dove droppings and they were selling dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That's about $25 in modern day money for dove droppings. Things were so bad in Samaria that we find in my estimation that one of the sickest stories in all of the Bible where two mothers got together and somehow conspired to kill and eat their own sons. And they killed and ate the son of the first lady, but the second lady 
perhaps now being somewhat sated, being a bit more sane, she hid her son. And the first lady felt betrayed by what the second lady had done. And so she went and complained to the king. And the Bible says this is what happened. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Let me paint a picture as to what's happening here. Sackcloth is the clothes of mourning. Sackcloth is a rough, coarse goat's hair. It's designed to be uncomfortable. It's designed to be a constant scratching reminder that you're in a place of pain. You're in a place of distress. Whenever you move, it's a reminder, I'm in an uncomfortable place. I'm in a place of hopelessness and despair. I'm in a place of need and, and pain in my life. And what was happening with this king was that every morning he would wake up and in the privacy of his bedchamber, he would put on that sackcloth, that clothe that signified the need in the morning and the pain in his life. But before he would leave the privacy of his bedchamber, he would cover that sackcloth up with the royal fabrics, the royal colors, the fine linens, the fine silks, the kingly robes. And so whenever anybody looked at that king, they saw the royal fabrics, they saw the royal robes, but that's not what he was feeling. He was feeling that constant scratching reminder of the pain and the despair and the hopelessness in his life. But when he got this bit of news, he was so distressed that he says it doesn't matter what anybody thinks anymore. It doesn't matter what anybody says anymore. And he pulled off those kingly robes and the people could see for the first time that the king had sackcloth on his body. I say all that to say this. That's exactly where the enemy wants to get the people of God in our times and places of need where we look one way, but we feel another way. I've been going to church long enough. I know how to hide where I really am. I've been going to church long enough. I know how to cover up my sackcloth with kingly robes. I've been going to church long enough. I know how to put things on and make Everybody think things are okay, but I've come to tell somebody that's not the plan of God in your times and places of need. God doesn't want you feeling one way and looking another way, but God wants you in your time and place of need to say, I've got pain. I've got despair. I've got confusion. I've got hopelessness. I've got concern, but I've got an altar. I've got a God that I can go to. I've got a God who can be touched with the feelings of my infirmity. I've got a need, but I've got a God in heaven who can touch me on the inside and the outside. I've got a God in heaven who can meet me in my time and place of need. I refuse to cover up my need. I refuse to walk around in pain. I refuse to walk around in despair. I refuse to walk around feeling one way and looking another way. As long as there's a God in heaven, as long as there's a God in heaven who can touch, as long as there's a healer in this house. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this doom and gloom and famine, the unthinkable happening in the midst of all this pain. The prophet Elisha had a prophecy. Verse 7, the Bible says, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, six liters of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and 12 liters of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. People must have thought, no doubt, the great prophet Elisha had finally lost his mind. Here we are eating the unthinkable. We're paying for dove droppings. Mothers are killing their babies. And you're telling us that tomorrow, at about this time, that six liters of fine flour 
will be sold for $5 at the gates of this city. It's impossible. No doubt somebody did the calculations and said if we even somehow miraculously got all the ingredients to begin the process of refining flour, we couldn't possibly generate six liters of refined flour in 24 hours. What you say is impossible. I say all the time I don't have much use for some of these so-called prophets nowadays with these so-called prophecies, all these ambiguous prophecies. They throw things at the wall and hope enough things stick where they have some measure of credibility. God's going to do something good for somebody good sometime in the future. I don't have much use for that kind of prophecy, but I believe that God still speaks to men and women of God. And I love when a prophet stands flat-footed and looks at an impossible situation and says, I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. I know what your flesh is saying. I know what the enemy's saying, but I've heard a word from God and God says, he's about to turn some things around. I've heard a word from God and God says he's about to do a quick work I've heard a word from God and God says he's about to he's about to prove himself mighty somebody hear the voice of faith somebody hear the voice of destiny tomorrow about this time I can have my joy back tomorrow about this time I can have my peace back tomorrow about this time I can have my dance back I can have my shout back I can have my testimony back I can have my lifting back and all it takes is one word from the almighty God all it takes is one word not a process but God can do a quick work tomorrow about this time my God my God tomorrow about this time everything could have turned around God could have proven himself the great prophet Elisha heard from God and spoke these seemingly impossible words but it was not the great prophet Elisha that made it happen because it was while this prophecy is going forth and while the famine is in the city, what we read as our text is happening simultaneously at the gates of the city. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. But if they kill us, we shall but die. Put yourself in their shoes. These four leprous men, their entire lives now boil down to three options. Their entire lives boil down to three options. We can go back to the city. We can stay where we are. Or we can march towards the enemy. All three options carry not just the possibility of death. But all three options carry the very probability, the likelihood of death. Seems like no matter what they do, more than likely they're going to die. If we go back to the city, more than likely we're going to die because the famine is in the city. If we stay where we are, more than likely we're going to die because we're dying where we lay. And if we go towards the enemy, more than likely we're going to die because the enemy came all the way from Syria to kill us. That's what he's here to do. So all three options carry the very probability of death. But I believe there was something on the inside of these four lepers' men 
that when they looked at those three options, none of those options seemed to be great options. But of those three options, they understood there's one option that we haven't tried yet. There's one direction that we haven't been to yet. I've come to tell somebody in your time and place of need, it's not time to entertain going back to the city where you came from. Because you know we know what's happening in the city where you came from. You know people are dying where you came from. You almost died where you were. It's not time to entertain going back where you came from. And it's not time to entertain being paralyzed and staying where you are. But why don't you make up your mind in my time and place of need? I'm going somewhere I've never been before. I'm trying something I've never tried before. I'm reaching for something I've never had before. I don't have any guarantees. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. It might be a place of death, but it also might be a place of victory. It might be a place of pain, but it also might be a place of healing. I might fall flat on my face, or I might mount up on wings like an eagle, but I won't know until I try. I won't know until I step out. I won't know until I do something different with my life. My God. So the Bible says the four leprous men got up and walked to the camp of the Syrians. But when they got there, the camp was empty because God made the Syrians hear the sound of horses and chariots. And they thought an army was coming to save Samaria. And they ran and left everything behind in their camp. There's something uniquely powerful about a child of God who needs something to happen. A child of God who throws themselves at the mercies of God in their time of need. If God could do this with four dying leprous men, imagine what God could have done with the hundreds and the thousands who were in the city. I submit to you this morning that those in the city had not reached this place of need that I'm preaching about. Those in the city were desperate, but they had not reached this place that I'm preaching about. You see, when I first began to study this out, I was using the word desperate. It's time to be desperate, time to get desperate. But in studying the word desperate, desperation, I, I realized that by definition, desperation is characterized by rash and reckless decisions. I realized what I'm preaching about is not desperation. It's a place beyond desperation. You see, those in the city were desperate. Killing and eating your baby is a rash and reckless decision. You see, with desperation, it's almost this illusion that I've got options. They might not be good options, but I can stay in the city. I can maneuver. I can rob Peter to pay Paul. You, you kill your baby. That buys you a few days, but it doesn't change your situation in any meaningful way. And what happens too many times is that people get stuck in that city, and they go from desperate decision to desperate decision. They stay there. They maneuver, but nothing changes. They're just surviving. They're just surviving a famine, but their situation is never broken free. Their situation never changes. They're going from desperate place to desperate place. But I'm preaching about something that goes beyond desperation. You see, those people in the city, they were dying to the famine, but they had deluded themselves into believing that they were living. And because of that, they were willing to do anything to stay alive. I'll do anything to stay alive another few days. But those four leprous men, pastor, they were not under any false illusions. They were not deluding themselves. They looked at their situation. They say, we're not living where we are. We're dying where we are and something has to happen. Something has to give. Something has to change in my life. Hear me when I say it takes a great deal of courage to look in the mirror and be honest enough with ourselves to say I'm not living where I am. 
I'm dying where I am. I don't have life and life more abundantly where I am. I cannot afford to stay where I am. It takes courage. It takes courage to look at your situation. Say, I'm not living where I am. I'm, I'm just existing. But that's the catalyst for some great things to happen in your life. That's the catalyst for you to step out into the unknown. For you to step out and do something that's going to change your life forever. It's interesting to me that it was a group of lepers that reached this point. Because many times it's easy to sit in a group and not acknowledge that we're dying as individuals. It's easy many times to sit in a group of lepers. We begin to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. We begin to say, yes, I've lost some, some fingers, but look at her. She's lost some limbs. Look at him. He's lost some limbs. We begin to compare ourselves amongst ourselves, begin to convince ourselves that our situation is not so bad. But sometimes all it takes is one person to stand up and say, we're dying where we are, and I'm not satisfied with that. And that spoken need can trigger action. And people begin to say, we can't go back to where we came from. And we can't stay where we are. Our only option is to go forward to a place that we've never been before. Our only option is to push forward to a thing that we've never had before. A place that we might not be sure about. I can't say for sure what's going to happen when we get there. But I know what's going to happen if we stay where we are. We're going to die where we lay. I've come to preach a defiance in the somebody's spirit. Because the enemy would whisper in your time and place of need and tell you that you're dying so you might as well lay down and die but I've come to preach a defiance into somebody's spirit where you say if I'm going to die, I'm not going to die like this. If I'm going to die I'm going to die standing on my own two feet. If I'm going to die I'm going to die facing the enemy. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die reaching for my tomorrow. If I'm going to die I'm going to die reaching for destiny. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to be the man that God has called me to be. If I'm going to die I'm going to die trying to be the lady that God has called me to be. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die charging the enemy. But I refuse to lay here and allow the enemy to pick me apart piece by piece. I refuse to lay here and allow the leprosy to do its work. My God, if I'm going to die, he honorable God. If I'm, I'm going out in a blaze of glory, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying to do something. But I refuse to leave this house a victim. He honorable God, he my God, it's time for somebody to do something that's going to unlock the hands of heaven in your life. I refuse to lay here until I can't move anymore. It's not that I want something to happen, but God knows I need something to happen. And my need can cause me to move forward to a place where God has prepared provision. Cause me to move forward to a place where God has the answers. Too many times we sit where we are. And pray for God to send us the answers. Hear me when I say my need can cost me to go forward to a place where God has the healing that I must have. God has the direction. God has the clarity that I need in my life. So the Bible says quickly that the lepers ate and drank and took some silver. But then they said, wait a minute. We've got to go back to the city and tell everybody about this. See, if you'll respond to your need the way God wants you to respond to your need this morning. You'll discover, much like these four lepers men, that your need was about something so much bigger than you. They made a move hoping, perhaps, to save their own lives. 
but they ended up being the vehicle, the vessels that God used to save an entire nation. If you'll respond to your need the way God wants you to respond to your need, you'll find out like these four leprous men that when you make that move, you then become uniquely qualified to go back to the city with a testimony. Go back to the city and say, yesterday, I was where you are. Yesterday, I was in a place of hopelessness. Yesterday, I was in a place of despair. Yesterday, I was in a place of pain, but I made a move. I responded to my need the way God wants me to respond to my need. And God has taken me to a wealthy place. And if you'll just follow me, I can take you to a place of healing. If you'll just follow me, I can take you to a place of more than enough. If you'll just follow me, I can take you to a place. Where God can meet every need. So the Bible says in verse 16, Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So six liters of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and 12 liters of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Just the way God said it was going to happen, it happened in those 24 hours. Hear me? This is the crux of what I've come to preach today. That when God spoke those words of prophecy to Elisha, God in heaven was not counting on the great prophet Elisha to bring it to pass. But when God spoke those words of prophecy tomorrow about this time to the great prophet Elisha, God in heaven was counting on four dying, weakened, leprous men to make a move that was going to unlock the hands of heaven. Could it be that when God promised great revival to Palm Bay, could it be that God is not counting on the great prophets who prophesied it to bring it to pass? Could it be that God is not counting on Pastor Myers or Bishop Myers to bring it to pass? But could it be that when God prophesied great things for this church, that when God prophesied great things for this city, that God in heaven is counting on people in times and places of need to make up their mind. I'm not going backwards. I'm not staying where I am. But I'm about to move forward. I'm about to do something radical. I'm about to give myself completely over to something. I'm going to throw myself forward with reckless abandon. Could it be that God is counting on people in times and places of need to make moves that will unlock the hands of heaven? It was the weakest in the entire equation. Four men dying of leprosy who made the move that opened the hands of heaven and brought about the prophecies of God. It might be four people in a time and place of need that God's waiting to make a move, but it'd be better if it was 40. It'd be even better if it was 400 people. It'd be better if it was 1,400 people who in their time and place of need got some defiance about themselves and said, my need is not going to define me. My need is not going to destroy me. My need is not going to push me backward to the city that I came from. My need is not going to paralyze me with fear, but my need is going to motivate me. My need is going to propel me to the altar. My need is going to propel me to the throne of grace. I've got a need. Musicians can come. It all begins... It all begins with an honesty with ourselves in our times and places of need. It all begins with the willingness to look at ourselves, look at our situations, 
and say, God, I'm dying where I am. That's where it begins with individuals who are able and willing to embrace their need. Individuals who are refusing to be like that king with sackcloth covered up by kingly robes. That's where it begins with people who say, my need for change is greater than my desire to remain the same. My need for change is greater than what is convenient. My need for change is greater than what is conventional. My need for change is greater than what anybody thinks. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice who's ready to go from where you've always been to the place that God wants you to be? Is there anybody under the sound of my voice who's tired of going from desperate decision to desperate decision? Who's tired of maneuvering in the same city that you've always been in, but you want to see the plan of God unlocked in your life? You've got the ability to say, God, if you desire to use my situation to bring revival to my family, let it be so. If you desire to use my situation to bring revival to my church, let it be so. If you desire to use my situation to propel me somewhere I've never been before, let it be so. I don't have to have any guarantees. I don't have to know how it's going to work out. I don't have to know what's going to happen next. But on this day, I'm moving forward. On this day, I'm responding to my need. On this day, I'm going to do some things that's going to unlock the hand of God, unlock the hand of heaven in my life. On this day, my God, these altars are open. Come on, these altars are open. Let's stand all over this building. Make your way down to these altars. Come on, somebody in your time and place of need. Make up your mind. I'm not going backwards. I'm not taking a step backwards. I'm not going back where I came from. I'm not going to allow myself to be defeated by my situation, by my circumstance. And I'm not going to be paralyzed and stay where I am. But I'm making up my mind. I might have leprosy, but I can still move. I might be weakened, but I can still move. I don't have all the answers, but I can still move. It's time to go somewhere you've never been before. Come on, something's happening in this house. Something's happening in this house. In the name of Jesus, we bind every whisper of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we bind every attack against the minds and the hearts and the destinies of your people. In the name of Jesus, let there be a lifting in this house. In the name of Jesus, let there be an apostolic outpouring. In the name of Jesus, let there be dominion in this house. Come on, don't stop short. Allow God to be God. Don't stop short. Allow God to do the supernatural in this house. Come on, it's a new day for somebody. It's a new day for somebody. It's a new day for somebody. Walk into your tomorrow.
come on, somebody's responding to their need. You know the need in your life. You know the need in your life. You know the need in your life. Come on, take off the sackcloth. Take off the sackcloth today.